Blog Talk Radio. Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with Tom Duggar. Say hi, Tom. Hello, Mike. Thank you for having me today. Tom is the the CEO and Chief Executive Officer at uh, the Dan Beard Council of the Boy Scouts of America here in Cincinnati. Tom has been a Boy Scout for 46 years. I think someone told me, Tom, that when you turned 11, you went to Boy Scouting and you haven't come back yet. That's what my mother always said. Yeah, okay. Tom spent uh, over 35 years in professional service of the scouting movement. For eight years, Tom served as a member of the national staff of the Boy Scouts of America. And from 1990 to 92, he was loaned. That's an interesting expression. Loaned to the executive. He was a loaned executive from Boy Scouts of America to the World Scout Bureau in Geneva, Switzerland. On this assignment, Tom served as executive assistant to the director general of World Scout Foundation, in this position, uh, Tom worked with His Majesty King Carl XVI Gustav of Sweden, the patron and honorary president of World Scouting. That's interesting. It was an interesting experience. Was uh, King Gustav uh, actually active with the scouts? Oh, very active. He was a scout as a youngster. And uh, he, uh, his father died when he was one year old, and so his scout leaders sort of became his surrogate parents and uh, you know, raised him up, and uh, he became a very responsible young man and is, is a great sovereign for his nation and uh, is still very active in scouting today with his own children. Yeah, yeah that's great. That's great. Uh, in this work uh, with the World Scout Foundation, um, uh, you worked uh, all over the world. How many co- different countries do you think you've worked in? Actually, I got into about 57 different nations. Wow, that's a lot. You know, it's kind of like uh, I've been involved with Rotary, and I've gone to some international conventions, but Rotary's involved all over the world. Absolutely. In fact, I like to say, Mike, there's only two true worldwide networks, uh, Rotary International and the World Scout Movement. Okay. That's great. Well, you're never too old to join Rotary. That's right. Or the Boy Scouts. That's right. Uh, we had Don Keller, the president of uh, the local Rotary Club, on the show a couple of months ago. As a result of uh, working across the, the globe with this experience, uh, Tom, you were awarded the Baden-Powell World Fellowship and a special commendation from the World Scout Movement. Uh, what is the Baden-Powell Fellowship Award? Well, Baden-Powell, Robert Baden-Powell, was the founder of the World Scout Movement. He was a retired British military officer who 
was concerned in the early part of the 20th century that young men coming to him uh, to be officers and soldiers weren't properly prepared uh, to give leadership and to uh, serve their country. And so he uh, wrote a book in retirement called Tips for Scouting, which he meant to be a military book for military scouts and was concerned when he learned that boys were picking it up, studying it, practicing the techniques, organizing themselves into uh, scouting groups. So he brought it back in from publication and rewrote it, Scouting for Boys, and it became the very first scout handbook. And uh, so to honor him uh, as the founder of scouting, the World Organization of the Scout Movement has this uh, fellowship award they call the Baden-Powell World Fellowship. So I guess I'm a little confused here, Tom. Did scouting start here in America or in England? Actually, scouting started in England. Uh, the roots of it, however, were in those uh, ports of call that Robert Baden-Powell served in, in India and Africa. Uh, and uh, he learned a great deal about life in the out of doors. He was a great admirer of the American westward movement. Mm -hmm. And so when uh, he started the program, it was indeed in England, and uh, it spread all across the country and came to the U.S. almost by accident. Yeah. What year was scouting started? Scouting was started in England in 1907. 1907. So it's more than 100 years old. More than 100 years old. It was 100 years old in this country in uh, 2010. Okay. What do you mean by it came to America by accident? The story is that uh, William D. Boyce, who was a newspaper publisher from Chicago, was in London on business and uh, his walking home from his meeting one evening, he got in one of those London fogs that you can't see through. Mm -hmm. And the story has it that a young boy came up to him in what he thought was a schoolboy's uniform and offered to guide him to his hotel. And when he got to the hotel, Mr. Boyce reached in his pocket to tip the young man, and he wouldn't take a tip. He says, I'm a scout. Scouts don't take a tip for doing a good turn. And this intrigued Boyce, and he started asking questions, and the young man suggested that he seek out Robert Baden-Powell, and sure enough, he did, and when Boyce returned to the States uh, a few weeks later, he brought with him a trunk full of scout uniforms, books, and badges, and, and started thinking on, how can I make this happen here? And this actually has a, a tie to Cincinnati that's a very deep tie through the, the person of Daniel Carter Beard. This, that's our council here in Cincinnati is known as the Dan Beard Council. I often wonder why that particular name. Sure. Daniel Carter Beard was born in Cincinnati in 1850. When he was five years old, the family moved across the river to Covington. Uh, the Beards were noted uh, wildlife and portraiture artists of their day. And uh, Dan Beard's father was a very famous portrait artist. And during the Civil War, most of the famous Union generals came through Covington to sit for their portrait with Mr. Beard. Hmm. And so Beard, uh, very early on in his life, saw these men and heard their stories. And as he was growing up, he developed a great love for the outdoors. And he explored most of the Licking River as a young man and uh, began in the 1880s to write books for boys. And uh, one of those he formed into a group he called the Sons of Daniel Boone. And the Sons of Daniel Boone turned into the Boy Scouts? The Sons of Daniel Boone was very active uh, when uh, William Boyce founded uh, or wanted to start the Boy Scouts of America. And he felt there were two people he had to have involved with him. One was Ernest Thompson Seton, the noted wildlife naturalist, and then Daniel Carter Beard. So Seton 
uh, West and uh, Boyce were the principal founders of the Boy Scouts of America in 1910. Wow. So the Dan Beard Council is one of the original. It's one of the very early councils. Yes, it is. Well, that's great. That's great. Here in Cincinnati, the Rotary Club is Rotary Club number 17 out of 50,000 clubs. That's right. Okay. Uh, Tom has worked as a chief executive uh, chief for uh, scouting councils in Albany, Georgia, mm-hmm. Raleigh, North Carolina, Oklahoma City, uh, Oklahoma, before coming here to Cincinnati. That's right. How long have you been here in Cincinnati, Tom? Uh, January 1 will be three years. Three years of enjoying it. Oh, we love it. Uh, we, uh, My wife fell in love with Cincinnati from the very first moment she saw it. We rented the car at the airport to come on the interview. We came around the big cut in the mountain. Yeah, the first right. words out of her mouth was, how pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we came here uh, 20 years ago uh, as a transfer for my wife. We left L.A. We thought it was too crowded. We came to Cincinnati because we thought it was a free pass out of L.A. And we said, we'll give it two years. If it doesn't work out, we'll go someplace else. Yeah. yeah. And here we are 20 years later. It's still a great place to live. Yeah, it's, it's a great best, place to live. Yeah, if you're listening to this broadcast from someplace else in America, Cincinnati is a terrible place to live. <laughs> Don't come. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great place. To live. You know, I lived in Raleigh when it was named best place in America to live and do business by Money Magazine. It almost ruined it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they ruined it. You know, yeah. I'll just keep the secret how good yeah. Cincinnati is. Uh, let me tell tell you folks who's got coming up uh, next uh, tomorrow. We're going to have uh, Bob Reedy, is the uh, CEO of LSI, a publicly held lighting company and more, lighting and graphics company. He's got a great story to tell. And uh, next week we have uh, Kelly Mahan of Mahan Advertising. She's going to be talking about advertising and promotion. You know Kelly? And shaking hands. She does a lot of work in the nonprofit world. Maybe you should know her. After a week from tomorrow, we're going to have Steve Jones, and he's going to be talking about green technology. He's got some uh, new green technologies for, I'm going to call it pyrolyzing waste to turn it into energy following week on October 11th, we have Adrian Breen. He's the regional president of First Financial Bank. He's going to be talking to us about banking and loans and all that good stuff. Following day on the 12th, we're going to have Betsy Emery of TELUS. Then we're going to have from the Union Institute, uh, Dr. Neil Meyer, who's going to talk about the Union Institute and how they help ex-military officers and enlisted men. And then on the 19th of October, it's Chris Adams from the Stepping Stones Foundation. Stepping Stones operates the Rotary's Camp Allen out in Batavia, as well as the Stepping Stone Center in Indian Hill for uh, children and adults with great disabilities. Then we're going to have a, a guy who probably likes to think of himself as a local legend in business, Mike Callahan, who runs a company called Document Destruction, and then a, a internet company uh, called Turnstile. We're going to have Eric Adams, their CEO. So, Tom, you, you've come to Cincinnati from the Boy Scouts after being in uh, Oklahoma City? Correct. Why did you ever want to leave Oklahoma City? <laughs> well, we loved Oklahoma City. We were there six years. Where did uh, you grow up, actually? Actually, I grew up near Birmingham, Alabama, a small town called Hueytown, Alabama. If you follow stock car racing, you will recognize Hueytown as one of the cradles of stock car racing. It was where the Allison Brothers and Neil Bonnet and Red Farmer and a lot of the greats of the early days of stock car racing. Okay. 
Did you you still follow stock car racing? You know, I do. It's uh, it's honestly, it's gotten a little glitzy. Uh, <laughs> you know, when, when I grew up with it, it was uh, it was a pretty rough and tumble sport. Yeah. Friday nights, dirt tracks, uh, hauling on low boy trailers with the tires up over the top of the truck. Uh, today, with all the you know the uh, the what they call the ride or the the endorsements, it's it's a little more glitzy than it used to be, but it's still a great sport. Yeah, you probably have a scout badge for uh, drag racing. Well, you know, uh, we actually there is a scout car. Uh, Coin Racing has it, and uh, they uh, they do a great job. It's been here at the Kentucky track a couple times. That's good. That's good. Uh, Tom has graciously uh, agreed to take questions. So if anyone's listening and they want to ask Tom a question about scouting, our number is 646-595-4916. We'll be able to screen the calls during the commercial breaks and put them on in subsequent segments. Uh, in fact, what we're going to do now is take a, a short commercial break, and we'll be back in about a minute. Why do some business owners make lots of money while others endure years of mediocrity? Is it really the economy, the market, the weather, the competition? No. These are all called excuses, which are always plentiful. Hi, I'm Mike Roth, founder of Roth & Associates. I'm the most experienced San Sales trainer in Cincinnati. As a business owner or part of a team, are you accepting excuses from your sales team because you make them yourself? Business winners succeed in spite of this trash. Business winners invest in themselves and their people. For over 15 years, we've been coaching, training, and challenging professionals who are 100% committed to long-term sales growth and profitability, no matter what it takes. If you're deadly serious about increasing your sales, call me at 513-646-6523. I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. To find out how Sandler training can make you better, faster, and stronger, call 513-646-6523. Company owners and sales managers, are you sick and tired of hiring salesperson you think is Tom Cruise, only to get Pee Wee Herman on the first day of the job? Call me, Mike Roth, 513-646-6523, to stop this from happening to you again. This is Mike Roth and Tom uh, Duggar from the Boy Scouts of America, Dan Beard Council. Uh, Tom, we were talking about sales people in that last little commercial bit. Uh, do you guys have business developers uh, at Boy Scouts of America? Well, we do. Uh, we call them district scout executives. And just Danbury Council is the uh, 24th largest of the 298 Boy Scout councils in America. So that uh, you know, we're we're one of the bigger Boy Scout councils, mm-hmm. and we have uh, five counties in Ohio, seven in Kentucky. Those counties are divided into what we call districts, and a district scout executive works that geographic subdivision of the council. Their job, and uh, we have young men and young women, uh, in fact, of the uh, 16 district scout executives we have, half are women. Uh, Their responsibility is to call on civic clubs, churches, schools, uh, public institutions, and literally sell them on the idea of hosting a scout troop or a cub pack or or a venture crew. So right now in the Dan Beard Council, uh, approximately how many scout troops are there? There are about uh, 700 uh, scouting units, and uh, we define a scouting unit as a Cub Scout pack for, for boys who start at uh, six years of age and go through ten and a half, a Boy Scout troop that starts for boys at 11 or ten and a half, 11, uh, goes through 18, and then a Venture crew 
which is a high school age program, and and Mike, it's co-ed. Uh, at fourteen, we 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 become co-ed, and they still do a scout-like program. They have a uniform, a, 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 an oath, and a law, and they earn badges related to high school age activities. Is that new? Uh, that is actually about twelve years old, and it was created out of what we used to call. The, uh, what we still call the exploring program, mm-hmm. but uh, we took the high adventure outdoor element out of exploring and began venturing. Okay, so you, you've now added uh, women to Boy Scouting. That's right. That's right. In fact, women serve at all levels of the scout program from uh, a scoutmaster or an assistant scoutmaster, merit badge counselor, up to members of our board of directors. And we have women serving at, at all levels. Across the country, many women uh, serve in scouting. Uh, professionally, volunteer-wise. I like to say if you took our female membership stand alone, mm-hmm. we'd be one of the largest women's organizations in America. Wow. Yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah. Didn't know that. Uh, my grandson just uh, joined as a Boy Scout. Oh, great. Out in Long Island, though. Uh-huh. Not in your council. Uh, uh, perhaps you can uh, clarify for our listeners uh, what does it mean to be an Eagle Scout. An Eagle Scout. In Boy Scouting, again, which starts at 11, you stay into your 18, there are uh, badges of achievement. And uh, uh, we begin with Tenderfoot, and we have Second Class, First Class, Star, Life, and Eagle Scout. So it is the highest achievement level in the Boy Scout program. And uh, since 1910, there have been 100 million members of the Boy Scouts, and about 2.1 have become Eagle Scouts. And this is the 100th anniversary year of the Eagle Scout Award. Wow. So that's uh, over 2 million Eagle Scouts. That's correct. Okay. I remember as a Boy Scout having to tie knots. Yeah, we still tie knots. We still tie knots. In San Luis Alex system, we teach people the monkey's ball. Okay. Yeah. You got to get me one of the one of your scouts who can tie a monkey. Do a, okay. We'll one do that. He's pulling knot. You may be surprised. <laughs> you may have noticed I have a lot of strange stuff in the training. That's room. right. Yeah. We need a monkey's paw knot. Okay. Uh, so you have how many uh, boys and girls involved in scouting in the Dan Beard Council now? In Dan Beard, we have about thirty-five thousand young people as of the end of last year. Of that 35,000, 25,000 were in our traditional program, Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, Ventures. And then we have a classroom-based program called Learning for Life that teachers use in the scope and sequence of their classroom to teach ethics and ethical decision-making and character development. About uh, 9,000 are in that program, and then about 1,000. That's so important, but ethics. Uh, very important, uh, uh, another thousand young people are in our exploring program, which is workplace based, and uh, they're sponsored by Christ Hospital, uh, the the police department, uh, local fire departments, and it's basically an opportunity for a youngster to try on a career they think they have an interest in. So is that something like uh, being an intern? It's, it's similar to being an intern. Yes. Uh, okay. Interesting. You have some programs I I wasn't even aware of. <laughs> yeah, we uh, there's a lot of a lot of programming out there for young people to be a part of in scouting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think the uh, the 
biggest obstacle that you see in in scouting is I think the, scouting. I think the biggest obstacle today is uh, competition for time. I'm often asked, well, are there as many scouts today as there were, say, 50 years ago? The honest answer is no. But uh, when I began my career 36 years ago, we didn't have soccer. We didn't have taekwondo. We didn't have year-round baseball like we have now. Uh, uh, and so uh, so there's much more competition. Even so, there's about 2.5 million boys in the traditional scout program today and another million and a quarter adults who support them. So we're still one of the largest uh, youth organizations in America. Yeah. I th- I've heard a lot of people say they compete for time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's one of the things that's not elastic. Yeah. And a lot of young people get involved with computers and computer games, which is a whole different world. Exactly. Exactly, and well, you probably have a, a merit badge for. We have, we do. We're not in video game, not a merit badge, but we do have a Cub Scout uh, uh, skill award in video gaming, uh, and in Boy Scouting, you can earn the computer merit badge, but it gets into much more than than just gaming. So that, that's that's a good life skill. Yeah, yeah. good life skill. Uh, I don't know about you, but probably one of the few courses I dropped out of in college was computers. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They put me in front of an old old IBM 029 key punch, right. and they said, punch out these cards right. in the program. And I could hunt and peck on a typewriter, uh-huh. but that key punch keyboard was different. It's a lot different. And, and uh, it was the only course I ever dropped out of. And yeah. later in my career, I, I discovered I was working in the computer business, programming it. computers. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it is uh, so much a part of young people's lives today. Uh, I have a great perspective on this that most of my colleagues my age, and I'm 58, uh, don't have, and that I have uh, younger children. I uh, have a, a 16-year-old son and a 13-year-old son, and they're both in scouting. And they're both in other activities, and uh, so it's. Uh, I they wonder why they're in scouting, and you wonder why they're in scouting, and uh, you know, and the, the workload in in school today is so much more than when we came through school. Mm-hmm. Well, I always thought the homework was too much, so <laughs> maybe that's why I they do too. <laughs> uh, what do you think the opportunities and possibilities are for scouting? Over the next few years, oh, I think there's a, a lot of possibilities and opportunities that uh, that face us each day. Uh, our continuing our effort to serve the hard to reach and the underserved youngster, the youngsters in the in the inner city, the youngsters in the rural areas where uh, some of our uh, programs that are very commonplace in suburbia simply aren't there. Uh, we uh, also uh, see that uh, there are, there are great opportunities to help young people grow in skills like leadership. Uh, we teach a lot of leadership in scouting, and, and frankly, not many people are teaching leadership skills at the elementary or high school level today. Uh, leadership is a... Uh a difficult thing to define. There have been a lot of books written on it. I know I've been involved in it. And I just did a program a couple of months ago on leadership for, for Sandler trainers. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of leadership skills do, does Boy Scouting teach its boys? Sure. Uh, take a Boy Scout troop, for example. A Boy Scout troop 
is divided into patrols. And each patrol has a patrol leader, an assistant patrol leader. Uh, the several patrols are headed by a boy in the scout troop called the senior patrol leader. And he has two assistant senior patrol leaders. So that we use the concept of boy-led in our scout troops. Now, that doesn't mean the adults just say, okay, guys, go lead. Uh, they serve as the role models, uh, the leaders, the guide, the advise. Uh, we use a method called the EDGE method, explain, demonstrate, guide, and enable. And so that's how our, we, we, we train our scout leaders to uh, uh, teach young people how to lead. Uh, I think all of us have innate qualities that will allow us to lead. Some of us may have charismatic personalities. Some of us may be strategic thinkers. But all of us have some type of leadership quality that if grown and developed can can help us do uh, things other than just be good scouts. It can help us be good employees, uh, good community members. So if someone wants to be a, a scout leader, do you have training programs for them? Yes. In fact, we have required training for all of our adults. And uh, you How have much to, time does that take? Uh, you know, it takes as much time as you really want to put in. That We have what we call a minimum. Uh, a minimum. Well, the old joke is two hours a week, but uh, it's uh, it, it probably all of our leaders uh, could have ser- seriously up to 100 hours of training. Uh, it's not all required at one time or in the first week. Many of, of you, many of our leaders do it over time. We have what we a requirement for leader specific training. For instance, I'm a member of the committee for my son's scout troop, and uh, our job is to support the scoutmaster and the assistant scoutmasters. The leader-specific training for committee members is about two hours long, Uh, and I went on a Saturday morning to where it was being held and got my certification to be a, a committee member. To be a scoutmaster, you've, you've got uh, up to 25 hours of training. Okay, so it's not something you're going to step into right away for most people. They might be an assistant scoutmaster. Uh, you might be an assistant scoutmaster, which I would urge anyone that wants to do that, maybe step in that way. Although we do have people who become very successful scoutmasters in brand-new scout troops that have never done it before. Yeah. Really? Yeah. How many new scout troops uh, a year uh have you performing? We have uh, right now about 10 new scout troops. With the scout troops that we have, we have pretty good coverage. Uh, and we do have some scout troops that come to logical sunsets, that they, they're in neighborhoods where uh, perhaps uh, there, there are no boys of scout age living there now. You know, we look at some of our inner city communities where there's, there's been a movement out. It, it may have an older population. Uh, but uh, those tend to run in cycles, and oftentimes when there are no young people in a community, then they do come back uh, by uh, young families moving in, uh, starting families, and uh, getting of scout age. So it, it's very cyclical. So if someone wanted to find a scout troop in their neighborhood, how would they do that? Well, there's two ways. One, they can call the uh, Danbeer Council scout office and uh we're in evendale and uh, uh under dan beard council boy scouts of america or you can go to uh scouting.org uh, which is the national scout website and you'll see a uh a tab that says council locator and you go to council locator 
plug in your zip code and it'll tell you uh, uh, the council you should go to and uh, how to find a scout troop. Okay, so that's pretty simple. Uh, we're going to take a another sh- commercial break. If you want have any questions for Tom and you'd like to uh, be on the show, the number is four. I'm sorry, six four six five nine five four nine one six. This is Mike Roth with Sandler Training, finding power and reinforcement. Are you tired of prospects saying, "I want to think it over"? Are you tired of being an unpaid consultant? Call me at five one three. On the web at RothConsulting.net. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Many salespeople tell us business was really easy. They likened it to gathering fruit in an orchard full of ripe trees. They gathered the low-hanging fruit. They had to get baskets to pick up the fruit that was already fallen. They never had to climb a tree. They worked this way for 10 or 15 years. Given the strong economy, this was no problem. What are you hearing now? The economy has slowed down. Salespeople are competing on price. There's still business now, but salespeople have to work harder. The fruit has not fallen from the tree, and there's no low-hanging fruit. The fruit is there, but it's higher up in the tree. The problem is their salespeople have forgotten how to climb. Do your salespeople know how to climb? If you or your team needs to learn how to climb through and up out of tough economic times, call me, Mike Roth at 513-646-6523 or check our website at rothconsulting.net. Company owners and sales managers, are you tired of cutting your price to get the deal? Wouldn't you like to have a better way? Wouldn't you want to improve your margins? Call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523 to see if there's a better way for you. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with uh, Tom Duggar. Tom, let me ask a, a kind of a Difficult questions. Is that okay? That's fine. We've got a theory here that simple solutions to complex problems are rarely correct. Therefore, if you want to solve a complex problem, you have to get a complex solution. Maybe you can, out of your past, someplace in the Boy Scouts, uh, think of a complex problem that you had and a complex solution that you applied to it that maybe be applicable across multiple industries. Sure. My father, who was something of a Southern front porch philosopher used to say, sometimes things are simple, but they ain't always easy. Mm. And uh, and I think that's very true. Uh, I think one of the areas that uh, we have had to uh, really think about uh, today is keeping the program relevant uh, today and uh, appeal to young people uh, with things that are very much uh, in tune with where they are. For instance, when I became a first-class scout, uh, in the 50s, so, uh, early 60s, I had to have a skill set knowledge of either Morse code or semaphore. Yeah, well, I learned semaphore with the flags and, and, and going in a clockwise motion. And uh, uh, I can still send semaphore. The only problem is there aren't many people today that can read it. If you were in the world, Second World War in the Navy, you could read semaphore. Mm-hmm. It's how we communicated ship to ship. The, the Navy hardly does that now. Uh, today, scouts are more likely to uh, uh, want to know about geocaching or uh, uh, or the computers or uh, mountain boarding uh, as opposed to the things uh, we did. The very first scout handbook had instructions on how to stop runaway horses and how to help old ladies cross the street. It was in there. 
Uh, well, we, we still have old ladies crossing streets. That's right. But today's old lady is more likely to need uh, help perhaps from a neighborhood watch program through our crime prevention awareness program, uh, a, a food program through uh, Scouting for Food, which is our annual effort to help restock food pantries. Uh, and then youngsters want to be challenged uh, with uh, extreme activities. For for instance, uh, we do a lot today with climbing towers and high ropes courses. We have a, an acronym that's owned by the Boy Scouts called COPE, Challenging Outdoor Physical Experience. And so we have a COPE course at our camp. Uh, we have uh, uh, sailboats, motorboats. Uh, Why don't you tell the, the folks about your camp? We don't know about it. Sure thing. Our camp is located. Uh, First of all, it's called Camp Camp Freelander, and uh, we have uh, had Camp Freelander since 1914. Many people in the greater Cincinnati, northern Kentucky area have have come to Camp Freelander over the years. It's on a 500-acre uh, reservation that has two other camps on it, uh, and uh, it's located literally inside the Cincinnati Beltline, not very far from the Ward's Corner exit on 275 on the east side. And uh, it uh, runs for seven weeks in the summer, but uh, the greater use of it is weekend uses because many of our scout masters uh, – come to Camp Freelander on the weekend to hold weekend camp outs because it's, it's very convenient and, it, and it's, it's very, very pretty. So uh, the, the scouts pitch tents? Uh, and coming to a, a week of summer camp, uh, we they do so many other activities, we have tents available for them. So they don't have to pitch their tent in the summer. And they eat in a dining hall, so they don't cook their food. But uh, in the uh, off months, uh, they do come out and pitch a tent. And uh, we also have a camp in Kentucky called Camp Michaels, which is a wilderness camp. And I'm headed there this weekend with my son's scout troop, and we're going on a wilderness survival camp out. Survival? Yes. That's where you look for some snakes. <laughs> That's where we backpack in and we build shelters. And we still do that, too, because the truth is uh, young people still like that. Uh, and uh, I realize that sleeping on the ground isn't for everyone. Uh, but for those who, who like it, uh, the, the Boy Scout program still is, is unparalleled. Right, for that outdoors experience. That's right, yeah. You can't get that anyplace else. That's right, yeah. And it's a supervised fashion. Which yeah. Is, uh, Safer. Uh, so the complex problem that you solved was well. The complex problem is uh, how to how do you appeal to young people and keep your program relevant? Uh, our, our first uh, national director, we call him the chief scout executive, in uh, 1912, two years into this, wrote an essay on how to uh, attract and keep quality volunteers and how to deal with older boys. So two years into this thing, we, we had the same problems we have today. And Still got those issues. That's right. Uh, and uh, so getting top quality volunteers uh, to lead our scout troops. So the, the complex answer to that complex problem was uh, uh, working through our chartered organization, churches, schools, civic clubs, and uh, selecting good leaders and then requiring those good leaders to go through a training protocol so that they will be ready to go uh, and lead their scout troops. Mm -hmm. So uh, which actually comes first, finding the uh, the organization, whether it's a church, a synagogue, a school, 
that wants to have scouting or finding uh, the boys that want to be and girls that want to be in scouting. It would actually be finding what we call the chartered partner, uh, what would be our term for the sponsoring institution. And the uh, chartered partner agrees they actually own their scout troop. The Boy Scouts of America do not own their scout troops. They're owned by the chartered organizations. So that means it's an arm of outreach. It's a program of that chartered organization, and they use the scout program materials so that the head of the chartered organization appoints a a representative to represent them to the, the scout group. That person selects a committee of adults, and that committee of adults then selects the scoutmaster, and uh, and the scoutmaster in turn through the parents tries to raise up assistant scout leaders to to back him up in the, and or back her up. Uh, we have women scoutmasters who are very effective, uh, mm-hmm. just as men are. Really, uh, I was curious how many of the uh, high school age uh, scout troops. Uh, what did you call them again? Call them ventures. Ventures, right? Other active here in Danbury Council. Uh, there are about 500 young people uh, who are active in the venture program here. It's, it's not our biggest program, but again, it's a it's a one of our. It's a considerable number. It's a good number of young people, it really is. Uh, uh, but uh, as compared to our 6,000 Boy Scout members, uh, but again, it's the program that's the the if you would the the exit program because they come in at Cub Scouts at six or seven. Uh, we have we had seventeen thousand Cub Scouts last year. We have uh, six, over six thousand Boy Scouts, and then we have uh, the five hundred uh, Ventures. But we also have seven hundred Explorers, which is the program for young men and women that's workplace based, where they they learn about careers. So so there you have twelve hundred young people that uh, of high school age that are involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the Eagle Scouts count where? The Eagle Scouts are in the Boy Scout program, mm-hmm. and uh, the uh, the Venture program has a separate advancement program. But Eagle Scout is exclusively a Boy Scout program award. Okay, so that's that's an award level. Yes. Good. And uh, let's pretend, you know, Tom, we could wave a magic wand over your head. Usually, keep one handy. And I saw the biggest business development or growth problem for Boy Scouts? What problem would I cure for you? I think the the biggest problem today is continued uh, public awareness of the Boy Scout program, that it's here, it's alive, it's well, it's a it's a great program for you to have your, your young person a part of. And uh, that it can fit in their uh, weekly routine. Uh, Scoutmasters are much more tolerant than other adult leaders of other organizations. For instance, uh, I know of many youth organizations, sports leagues, that type thing. I mean, you're there, you're off the team. Uh, My son's uh, grandson's baseball team is like that. We're playing a game on a Saturday or a Sunday. Uh Right. And Justin's got to be there. Right. Or you're off the team. In scouting, we recognize that kids have a lot going on. There are young people in my son's scout troop that play football, that march in the band. Uh, So during marching season, we don't see those kids. 
But when marching season's over, they come back and pick up right where they were. So, you know, I hear parents often say, well, we just don't think he has time for scouts. Uh, we can make the time for scouts because scouting is a very flexible program. Uh, it's like any other program. You're certainly going to get out of it what you put into it. But if you'd like to be a scout, come up through the ranks, become an Eagle Scout. It can fit your schedule. Yeah. And, you know, from my perspective, I think it's much healthier than sitting a kid in front of a Nintendo video game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, it, it is of epidemic uh, proportions, the way kids spend time in the house today uh, on video games. Uh, Which only brings up an interesting question. Is there such a thing as a scouting on the computer? Well, uh, a lot of our training has gone uh, to online training. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I mentioned the uh, uh training I took earlier to be a committee member, I went on a Saturday morning, that's now available online. And the, the basic training programs you can do online. We have a very... The scouts themselves as well. Uh, the scouts, are there, uh, there's all kinds of things for scouts to do online as well, yeah, through the Boy okay, Scouts. So yeah. They can go online and learn how to tie that monkey's paw. Yeah, they can learn how to do it. Uh, in fact, we're uh, we're moving more and more uh, to, to online uh, or uh, web-based training, and uh, as this very much, you know, the wave of the future. Still doesn't take the place, though, of being in the outdoors and uh, learning how to use that knot out there. You can learn how to tie it, but you really learn by doing in Boy Scouting. We really have the same thing here at Sandler. Uh, you know, we, we believe in long-term positive reinforcement right. training. Mm-hmm. We do, you know, 40 hours a month worth of training here. Right. Uh, the only way you get good at being a sales manager or a salesperson or mm-hmm. business developer, uh, area developer in a nonprofit, uh, is for a long-term positive reinforcement training. Right. But everyone can't make every class. That's right. And some people need to take the same class two or three times. Right. So we have a online learning tool called Sandler Online. Mm-hmm. Currently, there are about 350 hours worth of material mm-hmm. in there. Uh, where people can take short courses online, can test themselves for knowledge. We have uh, copies of classes in, in Sandler Online. And starting in the fall, a little later in the fall, we're going to have certification for uh, salespeople, three levels of certification, gold, silver, and bronze, bronze, silver, and gold. And then the same three levels for sales management, Mm -hmm. Uh, and then it's going to break up sales into different types of sales, a a commodity salesperson selling trucking, demand demand fulfillment. Uh, He's a different type of person and different training than a guy or lady doing uh, sales for Cisco that's in a consultative sale where the sales cycle isn't one telephone call, but uh, three years. Right. So each one of those is different. We're going to take a uh, another short break in here, and if you have a question for Tom, the number again is 646-595-4916. Let's listen to a Sandler Rule. Today we're listening to Sandler Rule number 34. Hello, I'm Jerry Weinberg, Sandler Training, and I'm here today to talk about Sandler Rule number 34, which says work smart and not hard. So one of the things we need to do when we're involved in in going after a a prospect 
is to learn how to qualify and disqualify early on. Uh, it's been my experience, you know, having done this for many, many years, as we coach our clients, as, as we train them, that they seem to spend, many of them, an incredible amount of time chasing, following up business they're never going to get. And for goodness sakes, if you're going to follow, you know, finish second, why do you even want to bother being in there? We don't get paid on experience. And frequently what happens is uh, we, we have a prospect maybe who's on our top ten list, let's say, and we want so badly to meet them, and we finally get an appointment with Mr. or Ms. Big, and, and uh, we're brought in there, and uh, next thing you know, we're doing a proposal to a totally unqualified situation. And uh, maybe it's a much larger piece of business than we normally would be working with. And we wind up in Think It Overland. And next thing you know, we're following up and we're, we're making phone calls and, and we're sending emails and nothing's happening. I'll tell you what is happening is we're not prospecting because we're spending too much time with prospects we're never going to do business with. In fact, I'd like you to write that question down and kind of track it over the next several days. How much time do I spend following up, chasing business I'm never going to get and how do I suffer with that? One of the ways that you can work around that is instead of going after a, a large chunk of dollars, start with a smaller piece. We call it a monkey's paw. Get some dollars, maybe for an assessment, maybe for a pilot program. You'll also keep your competition out of the picture. You'll at least feel like you're making some progress and then you can make it work better. So again, Jerry Weinberg, Sandler Rule number 34, Work smart, not hard. This is Mike Roth back with uh, Tom Duggar with uh, Dan Beard Council, Boy Scouts of America. That's a tongue twister to get it all out, Tom. Uh, so earlier you said you have some business development people, one yes. in each one of the districts. That's correct. So that's how many? Well, we have 16 uh, district scout executives. Right. So how do you measure the performance of these business developers? We have a um, measurement program we call the, the Professional Development System. And in that, a uh, staff person with their leader write a SMART goal. And, uh, and that SMART goal defines success for well, them. At Sandler, we have... The same word, smart for goals. We're teaching goal setting tomorrow, actually. Right. Yeah. Uh, S would be specific. Right. M would be measurable. That's correct. A would be attainable. That's correct. R would be realistic. Correct. And T would be time bound. That's correct. That's correct. Hundred percent. Sandler stole that from the Boy Scouts. Well, I think maybe we work with Sandler in developing, <laughs> but and over the years, yeah, yeah. Some, uh, Sandler-trained Boy Scout people. That's right. That's right. And uh, so a SMART goal for a district scout executive might be to make uh, sales calls uh, uh, with uh, 10 potential uh, chartered organizations and uh, not necessarily organize the 10 units, but to make the effort. We, we, you know, we believe that if we're not out trying to organize new units, we, we won't organize new scout units. And and uh, we uh, you know, we apologize to nobody that we're a, 
a growth-oriented organization because the youngster that we do not get into the movement of scouting, we can't shape their life. And uh, we uh, had a study commissioned some years ago by the Harris Organization, and they found that if a youngster was in scouting five years or more, we inculcated the values of the scout oath and law into their life trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. I remember that as a Boy Scout. Yeah. And the, the one that still sticks in my head was be prepared. Be prepared. The Scout motto, it still is. The founder of scouting, Robert Baden-Powell, said to be prepared for anything that should come along in life. I see this around my house. I'll fix something, and my wife will say, how did you learn to do that? I said, well, I had a merit badge in it in Scouts. So, it's, yeah, it's about being prepared for life. That's right. You know, be prepared. Right. We were in Radio Shack the other day uh, picking up something, and I saw these things sitting on the counter. You probably don't recognize what it is, Tom. It looks like a laser pointer or well, a leveler. On one side, it's a light. Uh-huh. On the other side, it's one of these little things. You put it against the car window and push it, and the pin comes out and breaks the glass. So when your car falls in a river, you I get see. out of the car with I see. Okay. I said, gee, for four bucks, i got to pick that up. That's... It, was a, it was a great toy. Yeah. And it's a leather opener as well. Wow. So I'm prepared, you know. You are prepared. Plus, I can't figure out how to put it back together. I called it the bodyguard. I... That's a nice nice tool to have. Hey. Uh, be prepared. It was, well, what's better than four bucks? Right. So you measure your uh, business developers about how many uh, new scout troops they attempt to set up. That could be one of the measurements. Another right. one could be how many of their existing scout troops go to camp. Uh, how many of their scout members or Cub Scout members advance a rank uh, in the course of a year that be moved from tenderfoot to first class, first class to second class. One of the ways we've started tracking this is through a balanced scorecard. And that balanced scorecard uh, would be divided basically into five areas with 17 metrics uh, uh, did uh, uh, did you have a budget and did you balance that budget it is certainly one of them. Uh, uh, how many young people went to a camping experience? How many of them advanced a rank? Uh, which is pretty exciting for me because I think these are the, the quality measurements that uh, uh, eventually result in retention. Because if a youngster is having a good experience in scouting, he'll stay in scouting. Sure, if you like the camp. How, how, many, right. how many youngsters uh, did you get to go to camp this summer? This summer we had uh, right at 6,000 young people go to camp uh, of some sort or another in our council, whether it was our Boy Scout camp, our Cub Scout camp, our day camps, uh, our weekend uh, parent-pal partner weekends. Uh, so we had, a, we had a lot of camping going on this summer. Mm. And do your scouts participate in those natural... Uh, nationwide Scout or Regional Jubilees? Yes, uh, the Jamboree. Jamboree uh, yeah. The Jamboree uh, uh, happens traditionally every four years, and uh, the next summer is a Jamboree year, and we're very excited that we're opening 
a brand new national jamboree site that the Boy Scouts of America actually owns. We have never owned the national jamboree site. We've always borrowed land. For almost 30 years, we were at Fort A.P. Hill in Fredericksburg, Virginia, uh, where every four years we would camp. And the last jamboree there was in 2010 for the centennial of the Boy Scouts of America. We had over 40,000 young people. But we're now, through the generosity of the... uh, uh, the Bechtel family from California. We have we are opening the Bechtel Family Scout Reserve in uh, in uh, uh, near uh, uh, Beckley, West Virginia, and it'll be a 10,000 acre uh, property uh, adjacent to the New River Gorge National Park, wow, and that big. will be the permanent home of the Boy Scouts of America Jamboree. Wow, yeah. 10,000 acres. Yeah. A large piece of land. It's a big piece of land, yes. Yeah. How many Boy Scouts would go to a jamboree? Well, uh, they are hopeful that we will have 40,000 at this next jamboree. Uh, as of uh, last week, we were off about 3% of that figure in the pre-registration. So we still have some time to, to fill up those remaining slots, and uh, we would look for 40,000 young people. And what is that? Uh... That will begin on July 15th of 2013. Good. Planning in advance. Yeah, planning in advance. And uh, the second jamboree there will be in 17, but in 19, we're very excited that we will again host the World Jamboree, where the world will come to West Virginia. And we're doing it in partnership with the Scouts of Canada and the Scouts of Mexico to put on a uh, a camp for about 25,000 young people from all over the world. Well, actually, West Virginia is kind of like a place you can only get to by driving. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, but you can go by train, and eventually, by train, by train, uh, really? eventually you'll be able to get on a train in Los Angeles and come all the way to the summit and get off on the ground at the summit off your train. And they're they're going to open up an old mining railroad uh, to to be able to bring modern equipment in on it. Well, that's great. Yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting for people. The Boy Scouts riding a train from. Los Angeles or yeah, even further away. That's right. More yeah. away to West Virginia. Yeah. The whole site is very green. In fact, when it's finished, it, it, the goal is to be the most green uh, facility of its type in the world. Uh, it is a zero-degree uh, excavation, which means that no dirt is brought in, no dirt is taken out. And so the dirt that was in the ground for the when they dug the lake is being used to level the campsites and to uh the uh, timber on the property so you had to build your own lake that we had to build a lake uh the timber on the property is uh being used to build the buildings on the properties and the bridges so it's going to be uh it's going to be a very green uh facility so you're going to go off the grid and have both up photogalvaic uh, cells and windmills <laughs> you know the uh uh we it, there will be a lot of solar uh there and uh the uh, uh this gets probably more information than you want but the gray water from the showers is filtered through a cistern system and that is what's used to flush the toilets so that uh, we're not tapping into the watershed oh that's great yeah that's great uh let me ask you uh, one last question. Uh, how has scouting 
accommodated uh, children in single-parent households. Sure. Uh, that's a... Uh some of you are familiar with that great old Walt Disney movie, Follow Me Boys, and one of the lead characters in Follow Me Boys was a uh, a young man who uh, was an, uh, lost his uh, mother and his father and uh, came through scouting. Uh, we've we've made a, a number of changes over the years. Uh, uh, first of all, our terminology is very friendly to the single parent home. For instance, uh, we no longer have. Uh, father-son weekends, we would have a parent-partner weekend. Uh, in Tiger Cubs, you, which is the entry program for the six-year-old, you join with an adult partner. Now, the adult partner could be an aunt, an uncle, grandma. It could be uh, an older brother or sister, or it could be your mother. Uh, we also uh, remove the language from our uh uh, member or leadership positions that might imply that it was totally a, a male uh, or a woman. For instance, uh, we no longer have den mothers. We have den leaders. Mm-hmm. So uh, a mother could be a den leader or a father could be a den leader. Um, we also uh, have uh, uh, the ability in scouting to uh, uh, have a youngster participate with an adult mentor, uh, and, uh, and this not a parent. Okay, so you made the, the scouting experience for the youngster coming out of that uh, single-parent household uh, much more friendly and accommodating. Friendly and accommodating, yes. That's 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 really good. Uh, in the little time we have left, Tom, uh, you know, maybe you should tell the folks how they can get a hold of you. Absolutely. You that out sure. Uh, uh, you can uh, go to our website, uh, www danbeard.org uh or you could uh contact us uh at our telephone number uh main number is 513-577-7700 okay that's good so that that number would be the number uh for finding out how they might become a leader of a new Boy Scout troop? Yes. Or Cub Scout troop? Yes, or to find an existing one to join. Right, right. And uh, you mentioned earlier uh, one of the areas where you think you need troops most in, in this area, these mm-hmm. inner city neighborhoods? Yes, the inner city neighborhoods, uh, It's uh, uh, there are a lot of challenges, but that's where we would, would need a lot of programming. Good. Again, Tom, I want to thank you for being on the show, and I'm going to give you a copy of Sandler's book, uh, 49 Sandler Rules, and you might thank be able you. to find a couple of the rules to use to help grow scouting. Thank so you. I, I, I'm a supporter. And, again, thanks for being on the show. Great. Thank you. Uh, Scott, why don't you, you take it away? Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at rothconsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.